0: We generally have two measurements for our work. Do we like it and does it provide well for us? In looking at the most successful and fulfilled people, they have another measurement that eclipses those. Do I feel like the end product or service I help provide is something of worth and value to people? Not by the world's measurements, but by my own. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziglar's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person, then do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. And we want you to have what matters. Also check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them good and bad. And we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my True Life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com. Connect with Tom Ziegler and the Ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. In this episode, I play a clip from Zig Ziegler where he shares a story about seeing a play and what struck him was that out there on the stage, the people were just truly giving it their absolute all. They were fully committed to giving an incredible and near flawless performance to the audience. And the point being for us to consider, not necessarily just how hard you know, are we working, but what is our goal in the final delivery? Is it a great performance, a great offering? So I polled my audience with this question. I pulled them on Facebook. Folks, you're welcome to join me. You can find me at Agent K Miller on Facebook and give me your feedback for these weekly questions. But I asked, do you feel your work is necessary? Is it honorable? Is it worthy? And tell me if you think it's not. Well, a lot of people commented and what came out is you know the contribution you make with your work in your own eyes matters so much, not just for your fulfillment, but even to your overall level and opportunity for success. So Tom Ziegler and I talked through the comments and come to some significant discoveries, I feel. So here are some show sponsors, then I'm going to queue up a one minute clip from Zig Ziglar, then dive into the comments with Tom Ziegler.
1: The Redhead and I had an opportunity to see the musical, Crazy for You. How many of you by any chance have seen that particular uh, musical? All right. We were absolutely enthralled with that particular presentation. And as I sat there, I got to tell you, Uh, I almost never see anything that I don't start thinking, well, now, how can I use this? What am I learning? Uh, That's where I get my biggest enjoyment. And as I watched those uh, 27 or 8 performers out there, I was absolutely fascinated. And as I looked at them, I said, now, there's some lessons that we can learn for this. Number one, the effort that every singer and dancer was expending was total. I mean, they gave it their all. And they were giving their all at the end, just as they were at the very beginning. Their enthusiasm was absolutely contagious in what they were doing. They had a conviction that their role made the difference in whether it was going to be a successful presentation or not. And you know what? They were right.
0: Well, Tom, before we start off, I do have to, I do have to recognize the fact that you are looking tan, uh, looking well and tan. And uh, you just had what? How many days on the beach? Five days on the beach in Destin. And Destin, you were with your buddy and Ziggler business coach, Howard Partridge, and your daughter, Alexander, her husband, and dog. So it was a family affair. It was
2: a family affair. Uh, the grand puppy was there. Charlie was there. He is definitely a beach dog. Uh, he would... Just snuggle up next to us, dig a hole in the
0: sand to get cool and be in the shade. And he would just hang with us. So it was kind of cool. Beautiful, man. I am. I am a fan, as you know, of the beach. I've been there twice this year. I'm looking forward to the next one here before long. Um, So, Kevin, did you ever do any paddle boarding while you were there? Uh, Yeah, my wife actually rented one. And she, she went out, the boys took turns going out. I went out uh, a little bit, but we had, I mean, we had 17 people. We had the whole family, little kids and everything. So I spent most of my time just hanging uh, with them, but she did that. And she just, since that she came back and, and bought an inflatable one that she can take uh, to place. She really loves that. We do kayaking as a family up here in our high mountain lakes, but she likes that. She's gotten more and more to liking the paddle board. So yeah, she, she did. And uh, some of the boys did.
2: Yeah, I did it for the first time. Howard has some paddle boards. He's actually got a lake right behind his house. So you you look out the front door, there's the ocean across the street. You look out the back door, it's one of those dune lakes that are very unique to that area. Uh, And I discovered something, uh, that my ability to stand is limited to about three seconds. (laughs) Um, The next best position on a paddle board is on your knees. Yeah. My knees are too tender to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I set uh, cross-legged style on the board, and uh, while it's comfortable for a little while, it's not the it's not the best way to yeah. get around.
0: No. that way so no that's was... that's kayak style which we do yeah the board when I first got <laughs> up on it I realized oh this is going to be more challenging to get the hang of and it's fun watching the boys uh take turns for their first time up on it and of course they just expect to hop up and go nuts and they didn't it took them took them a little bit to get used to it yeah it's it looks so easy when people are out there doing it but it takes a little getting used to
2: yeah you have got to have balance and good core strength yeah unfortunately having a really big core doesn't help <laughs>
0: Yeah. There's a little physics going on there. It is. It's really, I do appreciate it for that. Cause overall I would rather just do a kayak, but I like the, the core workout of the, of the paddleboard. Um, so,
2: with- and, Char- and our, and our grand puppy, Charlie went out. He, uh, Alexander got him a little life vest that had a shark fin on it, That's on the cool. back and a handle. So she put him up on the board and she paddled out and he just sat there. He thought it was the coolest thing. He didn't, try to jump in and the lake was uh it's not a big lake so it wouldn't have been like a uh you can almost walk across it but yeah anyway it was it was a blast and reminded me that when you only use muscles
0: every 56 years they get sore yes yeah i noticed that i have noticed that you know, even i mean i i do obviously so many active things mm-hmm. But we were on the beach and we were, we got into playing the, the guys. There was a bunch of, of, of guys, my size, not my age, my size as part of the family. And we played ultimate Frisbee and I don't do, I mean, I run, I ride even trampoline with the kids, but ultimate Frisbee, you know, you're kind of juking back and forth like basketball or whatever. And day after, especially two days after the sides of my hips were sore. I wasn't used to that because they're not used to me doing that. So yeah, I get that. Was that from the sand or from the, from the game? Probably both. Yeah, probably both. We were all barefoot in the sand, but yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it was both. Um, Man, I appreciate the beach though. Well, glad you had a good time on the beach before coming back to do your work with me. And here we are. And this topic here, you know, with this question again, do you feel your work is necessary, honorable, worthy? And Obviously, and I want people to hear this. This is good business knowledge. If you are posting a survey, if you are putting a survey out, you want people to respond to. It's very delicate as to what people will respond to. People don't want to respond to a negative thing. This is kind of like a book title. Negative book titles don't work. You want a positive, hopeful book title. It's just it's just sales. And that's relevant with a Facebook post. So I have to take something and try to put it in a positive light, to where people will want to respond to it. So I'm going to say that matters, and so that's good. That's good uh, business teaching for anyone out there doing surveys at all, or wanting to get a response. Is it matters how you phrase it? Now, so I could have phrased it poorly, and I'm always open to that. But it's also telling sometimes that there's just not a whole lot of responses because people don't have a lot of responses to this, and that's. I'm questioning it because we did not get a lot of responses. I mean, we had one not long ago. We got, you know, hundred comments. This one hardly got 10. So do you feel your work is necessary, honorable, worthy? And what it brought me to looking at Tom is, you know, we put so much focus on work on doing something you're passionate about, right? Do something that you care about. Okay, well, I'm going to hold that up as vitally important because if you're passionate about it, you'll do a better job. You will bless the world. You'll be an inspired person. That is, that is huge. Okay, next, you know, focus obviously on income. I don't know many people who are out there working for free. Um, We generally like to get an income, and as much income as possible, we are grateful for. And I'm going to hold that up as well, too. Very honorable. I want to take care of my family and provide and have things, have nice things, as as Zig Ziglar often says. I want to do that. So we're going to hold that, too. Now, third, though, how often do we look at, okay, what I'm doing then, this product or service that I am helping deliver, which everybody out there is working, as some part, somewhere, somehow, as and the end product is a the the end result, I should say, is a product or a service. So we're all part of that. Are you proud of that? Is it honorable to you? Do you find it worthy or is it just, or or is that, I know for a lot of people, it's not, it's just something you do. You help provide a widget. You don't really care about that. And it's not to, the point here is not to uh, demean you at all. If you're in that category but it matters, just as those other two matter that you care about, you know, that you're, you enjoy it, you're passionate about it, that you are bringing in income, that you also, at the end of the day, you find that it has value to the end user. And I'm afraid we've gotten into a culture that more and more is okay with, you know, it's fun, it's okay, the work environment's nice, the pay and the benefits are good, but they're not really connected or associated with, proud of, I don't know if that's the best word to use, Tom of the end product or service your thoughts
2: well first off uh, a lot of times people envy what we do at Ziggler because it's a for-profit business that makes a huge difference in people's lives and and it's it's also a ministry right so you're getting you're getting uh, satisfaction and energy and fuel out of seeing somebody's life change for the better and doing a good work and making money and doing the things in life that you want to do. And a lot of people look over with envy and they say, well, my, you know, all I do is this and, and, and they don't feel like it's in a ministry, right? They don't feel like, it's making a difference in, in, uh, their spiritual selves or their yeah. emotional selves, you know, it's just a thing to do. And there's even some, um, you know, re- I, I, think there's some religious tradition that says, Hey, you know, your work is separate from your ministry. Right. And I have never bought into that. Uh, one of our, uh, one of our Ziegler speakers, who's also in, uh, in, in, ministry, He said this, your alignment is more important than your assignment.
0: Nice. That's a good line. Say that again.
2: Your alignment is more important than your assignment. His name is Sandy Anderson. Just a huge heart. I mean, just an amazing human being. And so what his point is, is we got to realize that whatever we're doing, we're doing it with people and for people and we should be doing it to honor our creator, and that's our alignment right that's that's where we get our fuel and our energy from now our assignment our actual job whatever it is you know how much education is required or education isn't required or experience or physical technical skill or whatever it is that's secondary to the alignment and so if if people have a mindset of yeah anybody can do this job and you know it is what it is and it's kind of humdrum then that mindset will bleed over into their alignment and the people around them will feel like they don't, you know, because you don't, you don't see value in what you do, others around you. Now that's one direction on the street. The other direction is even worse. And this is what's more prevalent. And that is places of business that look at people as cogs in the wheel. Right. Right. And they just say, hey, you know what? We'll just get a new part if you don't work. And then that attitude spreads throughout the organization. And so since they don't feel like they matter, then that spreads over to the idea that their work doesn't matter. And then that spreads into a a situation. And that's the type of situation that we see in a lot of businesses, large and small, where it's a requirement, the world needs this product or service, But the people don't feel like they have alignment, you know, they're, they're not lifting each other up They're they're not going for the higher good and the higher purpose. And so that's kind of that's kind of where where I start with it. Uh, The reality is, is we can be a testimony in anything and in anywhere that we are because of alignment.
0: Well, so let's let's hit that. And we've got some people who I want to I do want to read their comments, but with you bringing that up, let's make it literal. Let's think about a couple because I'm I'm interested in that you know, work and ministry aspect, Tom, and we do have a big faith-based, you know, audience as well. I one of my favorite theologians and authors is Frederick Beekner and When he, I was just reading one of his memoirs again, when he became a Christian, his thought was, well, I guess if I'm going to be serious about this, I'll go to seminary. It was just kind of a by proxy thing, which a lot of people do. Hey, I'm going to do something for God. I need to work in the, what we used to call at least the five-fold ministry. I need to act- actively work there. And I'll always remember, I've cited it before, I think, a story from my dad, Dan Miller. One of his early coaching clients was a guy named Ronald Baldwin. And this guy, kind of a similar thing. Man, He wants to serve God, and so he became a pastor, and he was not happy and passionate about that role And came to my father and ultimately his area of interest was painting and he got back into that. And the long story short of that is him later on as a successful painter, like a portrait type painter. He said, I reach more people for the Lord in this role that I love and am made for than I ever did as a pastor on a pulpit. I love that perspective and of course you have, you and i have both seen so many people like that And i feel like somebody doing that i'm i'm much more effective in my work always have been I, than i ever would have been in a traditional ministry for me not to discount that but for me and thinking of authors i'm reading another book by our buddy charles martin uh, and it's just, it's just awesome. That dude is a sold out follower of Jesus Christ. This book is just a good book. It's it, all of his books are redemptive, but they don't have a cross or a fish on them. I don't even know if this, at this one, there's been other ones that I read that really don't have any specific mention of faith. It's just good people, good morals, good ethics, and a killer story that obviously they're making movies about because he's such a great writer. And I love that. He feels like he is fulfilling God's calling on his life as a writer of fiction. So, you know, that in essence is a a big thing to look at. Now, that said, let's look at some people that we know or know of, uh, like the Truets who you were just telling me a story about Chick-fil-A that you went to on your way back from Florida. They are providing, the product or service is, let's just say a chicken sandwich, right? Now, is that something that you would, back to my question, find honorable and worthy, let's even say altruistic, or is there a ministry in that chicken sandwich? What's the guy, you probably know his name, Tom, uh, just a very outspoken Christian guy who, owns or owned interstate battery you remember that i can't remember his name is it is his name miller man i don't know we could look it up in two yeah, seconds I'll look it up. On, talking, you, you do it while i'm talking well so here's this guy he's got a huge business and they provide and maybe they do other things but we know him for it's a battery it's a car battery which to me is a commodity I'm going to go to, I don't, I I buy batteries for the cars every once in a blue moon. I did it not long ago. I had to, I had to get two batteries for cars, which you don't have to do that often. I have no idea what I bought, uh, what brand I bought. It might've been the local Napa or something like that. I, I don't, I have no idea. So he's over there just, you know, with another battery and you buy it because you think it's better quality, just like you think Ford or Chevy is better. Maybe. And or maybe they compete for price or maybe they compete as a premium. I, I I don't really know. Maybe you do it because they sponsor your favorite NASCAR driver. I don't know, but again, is is, is that bat here's it's a battery. It's a car battery. Is it honorable and worthy? I'll let you play with that, Tom. What you, what do you think? I mean, in that, is there a place to cause some people are grappling with that going the product or service? I don't know, it's just it's some people use, but is it honorable or worthy? That can cause some. Uh, that can cause some questioning. Yeah, absolutely. Norm.
2: Norm Miller. Okay. Is, yeah. Thanks. Uh, is the guy who started that. So here's the thing. Um, I believe how you do something is more important than why you do it. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, than what you do. Right. Okay. And the and the the how gets inspired by the why. Okay. OK, so when you look at Norm Miller and I would say the Cathy's and there's there's, you know, probably tens of thousands of businesses. Why they did it was for this big uh, missional statement uh, to bring glory to God, to provide, you know, water in Africa. I mean, you know, whatever that is. So that inspires the how right and so if if my why inspires the how then that that's what people grab wow i love how you do it's like i love how chick-fil-a brings you a chicken sandwich yeah right i love how it tastes and there's a great story around that uh that i may have shared on this podcast before but years ago uh when boston market it was chicken uh Boston Chicken became Boston Market. When, when they raised all their initial funds, it was a lot of money. It was over a billion dollars. It might even, I think, $4 billion, which was kind of unheard of for fast food places in those days. They went out and they bought up all the land that they could see putting their, their stores on. Well, this freaked out the leadership at the, the kind of the upper management, not the top-level leadership, but the management teams at Chick-fil-A, because they had in their plans budget to buy a lot of the property that just got bought out from under them. And so they they said, you know what? We need to go and raise money. We need to get a loan because our number one new competitor is buying all the great places to build chicken places, right? So they put together this plan and they brought in the top leadership, which included Truett Kathy. And if a Chick-fil-A insider hears this and I'm wrong, you got to email me <laughs> and straighten me out. Cause this, you know, dad used to say, if some, if you can't improve on a story, you're just not a good storyteller. Uh, and he said that t- tongue in cheek because he was the most ruthlessly honest of the stories that he told of anybody I know. But basically they brought the whole leadership team together. They did a dog and pony show of why Chick-fil-A should go and get a loan. And as a private held company, they'd never gone into debt like that. And about, several hours into it, this quiet, reserved, soft-spoken leader, Truett Cathy gets up. I don't know if he slammed his hand on the table anyway, he made some noise that got everybody's attention. And he basically said this, because they were arguing about how to get this thing done. And he said, hey guys, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Our customers don't want us to be bigger our customers want us to be better. And so that was a pivot for Chick-fil-A. They dropped that whole plan and that was the day that they changed everything to incrementally being better at everything they did. The quality of straw, the paper around the straw, the type of cup that your drink comes in, you know, the oil they use. And that has led to probably the greatest innovations in that whole industry when it comes to how do you manage fast food? Yeah. And then I heard another story today about Chick-fil-A. They're, they're coming out with an app for buses so that a bus full of kids or people or whatever can show this, the Chick-fil-A menu up on the bus screen 45 minutes before they get the Chick-fil-A, the whole bus can order And they meet you outside at at your bus with a cart with all the food on it. I mean, this is crazy. And so that is a company that says how we do it matters more than that's our that's our testimony. That's our Right. And we see that every time you go.
0: Well, and I appreciate that because that's something we can all do no matter what product or service we're providing. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this episode on whether we view our work, the end product or service that we are helping to provide, as honorable and worthy. Next, I read a listener comment from a guy who's in IT uh, who shares that he views his work as incredibly important due to the businesses and people his work helps support. So here are some show sponsors, then we'll be right back to it. let me, I'm going to read one here, Tom. It's really relevant. Mason Bassick. He says, my work directly enables other businesses to stay online and do their work. And I didn't fully realize I was an essential worker until the pandemic. I was unable to provide our, if I was unable to provide our services, the trickle down effect would have affected thousands of individuals related to dozens of industries. So I ask him, what does he do? He says, I'm the COO at a managed service provider of IT. We keep the IT infrastructure working, internet, servers, computers, phones, et cetera, for small to medium-sized businesses. Industries ranging from dentists, doctors, lawyers, and CPAs to a dairy farm, a country club, landscapers, a charter school, several several others. Well, I appreciate that. And I believe it was your dad, Zig Ziglar, Tom. And if you know, uh, if you recognize this, let me know. But somebody told a story of, a, of somebody in a similar situation and it was kind of an IT. I know it was a, it was a refrigeration. The guy's looking and going, we do, we do refrigeration stuff. How is that worthy or honorable? Do you know this story? Yeah, that was one of my coaching clients. Was it? Tell me. Okay. You, you yeah. speak it then go.
2: So I was telling him, uh, about how valuable his, his team members are and what they did. And he said, gosh, I wish my, I wish my technicians knew that. And so their business was was refrigeration systems for uh, hospitals and, and food manufacturing and, and a lot of chemicals, a lot of requirements, a lot of regulations. So it's a pretty intense job because you screw it up. It's bad. And I go, I said, Alan, are you kidding me? They don't, they don't know the, the value of their job because no, they just think they are technicians. And I said, well, what happens if they go into a hospital and they work on the refrigeration and it fails? He goes, well, I guess they could lose their blood supply and a lot of medication. I go, yeah, their, their job lives depend on what they do. And I said, you guys work on food manufacturing plants, line assemblies and things like that. He said, yeah. I said, well, if the refrigeration goes down, do they shut down the food assembly line? He said, yeah, they have to. I said, well what do they do with all those hourly workers? Do they pay them for sitting around or they send them home without pay? And he goes, they send them home without pay. And I said, so your your guys doing a good job is the difference between somebody who works there having enough money for Christmas or not. I mean, if you're in that type of work uh, environment and you miss a a few days of pay because the line goes down, then you're not making a payment. You know, you're you're not buying toys, something's big. And so that mindset shift of, hey, what I do doesn't matter to, hey, Christmas depends on what I do, <laughs> that is a, a, an energy shift of, of how I'm going to do life, of, of what I'm going to do. The other thing I wanted to kind of bring into this conversation is, uh, you know, people, <clears throat> people confuse passion with skill. And you'll see people who are like, man, they've just got this amazing skill at something but then they get this passion for like I'll call it the rabbit trail, right? They just wrap and they're not good at it. And so where's the balance between following your passion and doing where you're doing what you're gifted to do? And that's a that's a tricky one. So I always first rely on what gifts and talents to, did the creator did God give me. Because it doesn't matter right. what I do, if I can uh, access those gifts and talents, then I can step into a new passion or the passion that's on my heart. Yeah. And that was the painter example. Yeah, he, It wasn't just that he didn't have a passion for what he was doing. It was primarily because he wasn't using the gifts and talents that, that God had given
0: him. You know, I think God gives us gifts and talents for a reason. I, 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 I absolutely, I want to hit on that passion though, Tom. And we can make, we could do a whole show on, you know, just that. It's such a common topic. I know incredible people that I respect and revere, accomplished people who are gung-ho on the, you know, work at your passion things, and others who take a contrarian view. And go, no, you just do work that, you know, takes care of you, takes care of people and don't get waylaid by thinking it has to be fun. So lots of debates around that. I think it's, to me, pretty irrefutable that having a, use whatever word, an inspiration, a joy in what you do pays more and helps people more. That's, I feel like that's fairly you know, irrefutable. You're only going to help things by really uh, appreciating what you do. But to what you said, I do feel like we often fall into this errant perspective that there's one thing. I have one calling. I have one passion, one penultimate thing that I'm supposed to go out there and discover and do that. And Tom, I say that acutely because my kids have struggled with that, and I've had to talk them off the ledge of that somewhat. of saying, first off, kid, you're 20. You don't know what your ultimate passion is. And I'm so sorry that I've upheld that so much that they, they feel so, it's such a daunting thought to figure out, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? What is my calling? I'm saying, man, go out there and just try stuff right now. Try stuff and find that. Now, that's one part. The other part, though, is that you probably, hopefully... Have multiple passions, it, you know, however, in defining things that you really enjoy that really bring you life, that really inspire you. And for me, I have a list. This is communicating is one, communicating a positive uplifting, hopefully transformational message. I have always been drawn to that. I like reading it. I like writing it. I like here podcasting it. I like doing that. I would put that as a passion. If I was, you know, locked away in a jail cell or something like that, I want to write, man, just give me something to write, hopefully to read, but just, just to write my thoughts and ideas and ponderings. I mean, I really like doing that. I am also, I love my mountain bike and trail running. I probably get the most just pure thrill of joy, play happy joy out on a trail, out in the woods. But even doing those things where I'm, you know, it's speed and adrenaline and what I mean, it's just pure out uh, joy. I love working with wood, natural wood. We have trees on our property. We cut them down. I have a wood mill. I make bunk beds. I make uh, lamps. I make walls. I, you know, my kids make candles and are selling signs at farmers market. I really enjoy taking a project and saying, "Okay, we're going to make a deck," or "I'm going to make it," and figuring it out, making it from scratch with our own wood. I enjoy that. So, boom boom. I, you know, I keep going down things. I love, I love cooking. I love music, big parts of my life, big parts that I, they need to be a part of me for me to be the fullest Kevin. Now list those out though. And what do I want to pursue vocationally? Not music, not cooking. I don't want a restaurant, uh, not woodwork. I had a lady who just begged me to build a table like I had built for us. And I actually, she gave me a big deposit and said, please just build it. And I thought, okay, I will. i just yeah. And I ultimately gave it back. I just don't want to for, for pay. I enjoy doing it for me. So these things that are for me that I'm passionate about, that I'm, gonna, I'm going to partake of, I, I highly value them, highly regard them. I don't look them at as luxuries. I look at them as those are vital parts of me. But I really only have one of them that I'm doing as a vocation. And I hope that that is a concept that frees people to look at, these are passions I want to partake of, but what do I want to do day in and day out for a vocation that fits me, that fits the marketplace. And then that's a different discussion. And you work with a lot of people in executive coaching and asking, you know, questions about that. But I, I think we get too narrowly focused on this aspect of that passion, that calling, that thing. And then should I work at it? And I've talked to a lot of people who have found that, thank goodness, that thing that they really were to what you said initially, Tom, they were really passionate about. And they realized real quickly, gosh, I don't want to work at it. I don't want that vocationally. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it for whatever reasons, multiple reasons. That is wonderful. I hope they retain doing that. Do that over here. That's part of you, part of what makes you, but over here, what is the thing that you enjoy for again, the vocation?
2: Yeah, here's an example of of passion um, and and how to understand the difference between passion and purpose uh, and how you can get alignment in those two things. A lot of uh, college or a lot of high school kids and parents, they agonize over what's the best school, right? What's and a, and a lot of Christians will, will say, you know what, I need to make sure I go to the school God wants me to go to. And so if you're if you're listening to this, just imagine there's a whiteboard in front of you. It's totally white. There's nothing on it. And then you draw five little dots on it. You know, each dot's about three or four uh, <clears throat> inches away from the other dot. And these represent the schools that you've got to choose from. Uh-huh. And so we think I better choose the right school. Otherwise, my whole life is going to be messed up or, you know, I'm going to miss something or or whatever. But the reality is, is they're all good schools. And so you make you you make the best decision you can and then you go for it because here's what you do. Whatever school that you choose, how you do school, that's going to determine where you go in life. That's going to determine the relationships that you create. That's going to determine the doors that open. And so you pick something and you make that the bullseye. Yeah. Right. So you pick that. And then the first circle is, you know, how am I going to honor God in what I do? How am I going to build the right kind of relationships? How am I going to take care of myself in this endeavor? What goals am I going to set? Where is this going to take me? And so it's the how that is the difference maker. It's not that you pick the exact right job. And, and I remember uh, going through this with Alexandra, my daughter, and she was trying to decide what school and what she wanted to study. And they, this is what they said. They, they did all these tests to kind of figure out her bent, you know, what, what, are, what are some gifts and talents she has. And they said this, they said, look, whenever you, tr- you know, you probably want to look in these areas because you have a natural uh, ability there. But as you investigate something, don't only pay attention to the things you like, pay attention to the things you don't like. Because what yeah. you don't like is just a big road sign as what you do like. Yeah. And then they said this. And now, this is wisdom. Hey, you, there's going to be some things that you really, really like. And there are going to be some parts of that thing that you don't like. That's OK. You don't have to like it to do it. Yeah. You just have to do it in order to be successful in that thing that you really like, that you feel called to. And so that's kind of that alignment idea, that idea of, hey, I'm going to take the gifts and talents that God's given me, maybe some desires that I want to go after, and I know that as part of the package, there are going to be some things in there that I'm, that I'm going to uh, struggle with. And I heard another great quote today. I think it was Jordan Peterson. And he said, uh, the difficulty of the task is irrelevant when compared to the consequences of not doing it. That's great. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. The difficulty of the task is irrelevant when compared to the consequences of not doing it. And so if, if we are about the why and we do it in the right way, that's the how. And we understand that there's some things that aren't natural, that we're not going to like, that don't come easy to us. We just have to ask ourselves, okay, what's the consequence yeah. of me not doing that? Yeah. And if it means we don't get our dream, we don't, we don't go to the next level. We don't serve like we should. Then it's irrelevant how hard it is if that's what we're supposed to do, we do it and we don't have to like it. And so that's pretty cool. So uh, he was making that uh, comment in regards to relationships and the elephant in the room where two people are in a relationship and they're just not getting along very well. Uh, Both sides generally like to avoid that conversation. And so the comment was, hey, the difficulty of the conversation, it's irrelevant because the consequence of not having it is, and then you, you have an ended relationship. You have something that spirals into a place nobody wants to go.
0: Well, and that's the, you know, the I'm sure somebody said it as well in some quote somewhere at some point, but something that I've always kept in mind is we so often look at that thing that we would like to do and we bank it shadow it with the risk. So here I am in this job that is toxic and yada, you know, all, all bad. And I'd like to do this over here, but it's a risk. I even have, maybe I even have an opportunity. There's a possibility, but it's a risk to go over there and do that. And we don't then, just as you said, Tom, come over here and go, what is the risk of not doing it? Is the other side of it depression and possibly getting fired? Cause I'm not doing as great a job because I don't enjoy it and yada, yada. And we don't do that. Uh, well and that's been a consistent practice that I've learned to do with myself because we just by proxy as humans we tend to look at wherever we are is at least known it's kind of that old cliche what is it Tom the uh, better the devil you know than the one you don't and it's so true I come back to that so often that wherever we are is known if it's known that has more comfort than what's unknown even if we, well, not, not even if, but if we would turn around and look behind us and say, but what if I stay here? What is the risk? Uh, and as you said, what are the consequences of, of not doing it? Well, here, Tom, let's, let's play with one. This was sent to me. Uh, not a, not, uh, he messaged me because he didn't want to be public on Facebook. Uh, and he said, I'm honestly pretty bored at work. It's a long story. Uh, he says, I didn't want to answer publicly because we have uh, mutual Facebook friends and it's a small town that he lives in. He said, I do sales for a machine shop slash metal fabrication shop. I'm on salary. I've been here about a year. We're so busy with work from other accounts that we can't get quotes or bids out fast enough. I'm only half time, but I'm paid enough to live on. But I'm really not busy. I honestly don't see how they can afford to keep me on salary. But if I were on commission, I would have to go somewhere else that could bid my jobs and complete my jobs in a timely, timely manner. So I ask him, are you just, you know, not that excited about what you're doing? The end, the end thing that you're producing. He says, not really. My previous job was similar, except that I uh, had a good level of activity and it was mostly commission. So there was some aspect of the thrill of the win. Being only half time work allows me to find fulfillment outside of work, but that has been a little slow lately, too. Interesting, Tom. Obviously, a lot, a lot in that. And I want folks to hear there's no, I don't have any context of a right or wrong, better or best, healthier, or healthiest, or not healthy aspect to respond to him or to take that concept and give as an answer or a solution overall, because they're different people. Somebody else could be in that same situation with a similar feeling and think it's great and say, my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm halftime. No, nah, I don't really care a ton about what I do, but I'm good at it. And I appreciate the pay. And my gosh, I get half my time off. And I, I do XYZ, I do a side gig or I do a volunteer or I have a hobby or I whatever. And so putting that together, I love it. And I have heard so many people like that, Tom. Now, I happen to be, and maybe, maybe he is too, somebody who I really struggle to take 10 minutes or 10 hours to do anything that I don't find a decent amount of fulfillment in and of itself from exactly what I'm doing. And I have learned because I have people in my life that I, uh, I, I revere who, are, again, are different than that. Uh, Dave Munson, our buddy from Saddleback Leather, he makes, you know, leather bags, high-end leather bags. And he totally enjoys it, but it's not the end all to him. And he, you know, he and his wife go off and pursue passions in Africa and taking care of people. But during the day, he's just doing something that he enjoys. It's not saving the planet. Uh, and man, I, I talked with him about that and thought I, I couldn't, I would have a hard time doing that. It would be a really a struggle. We just kind of looked at it and go, ah, well, God makes us different, doesn't he? How cool. Cause we're both having an impact. We're both fulfilled. We both feel very altruistic in what we're doing as, as a person out there in humanity. So again, no, you know, right or wrong, but with this guy right here, Tom, to take him, you know, captive, he feels bored. And I would say, I would say that that's it could be better i think i i would wish for him an opportunity where he can find more interest now does that mean he needs to leave this machine shop metal fab and and go do ministry back to your you know back to your thing go out there and do something altruistic man. not necessarily but can he find joy can he find positivity can he change his perspective where he is now but if and if not can he find another opportunity i mean a classic example story of that is one that i've played here on the show you know well tom your dad saying a lady came up to him and was looking for salvation because she hated her job and the long story short is he said well what are the things you like about it do you like the pay do you like the benefit and she had all these yeses that it totally changed her perspective she says you know what it's a great job that's awesome not everybody can do that some the same person could have realized you know what It really is not the best place for me and found salvation and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to take that risk and I'm going to go look for something more fitting And their story is I, and I, you know, this catalyst helped me find something that was more fitting. And now I'm thrilled again, they're both relevant and we can't say which is which for the person we can look and say, I would say, I would look at that and go for this guy. I would, I would really dig in to consider which one of those might be best for him. Yeah, here's Mike's, here's my
2: quote on that. Uh, You're, when you, when you know your why, it changes your how and it opens the door to what. Okay. And so free advice, so you get what you pay for. What is your why? What's your, what's your bigger purpose? What is it that you feel called to do Get real clarity on that. When you know what your why is, okay. So when you when you have real confidence in your why, it changes how you do life. the The people who who just seem to always to fall into the next great opportunity, it's not luck. People recognize that their how is different, right? They they recognize that. Um, this person has a spark. This person goes the extra mile. This person has a little bit extra in everything that they do. And then people around them go, why don't you come do that for us? Yeah. Right? And so that's how the doors of what get opened up. And so let's say you're not sure on your on your why uh, and you are bored and you, and you're just kind of going through the motions. I, we have a term in Ziggler for that. We call them zombies. Yep. You know, you're just whatever's minimally required, you're doing it. And, you know, you're happy to do it, but you're not getting juice and you're not giving juice, right, you're just going through it. And so that's where you go through the gratitude list. You start writing down, not only everything that you're grateful about your job, you know, are they air conditioned where they work? You know, I mean, do they, are you, do you have flexibility? And you start writing all these things down and then you start writing what all those things allow you to do with your life and your, your gratitude bucket fills up, it starts to change how you view what you do, which in turn creates energy, which changes how you do it. And as that energy builds, then the opportunities start start to come in. Yeah. And here's the thing. I think we are we are built for growth. We are built to be stretched. We are built to learn. And a lot of times when people are bored, it's, it's because they're in a position that they've kind of mastered and it's just the same old, same old. Nobody should do that at any age. It doesn't matter whether you're, you're three years old, 30 years old or 90 years old. We need to be stretching and growing constantly. And so look for ways to stretch yourself. So what if you're not sure what my why is or what my next step is, just pick a few things and start learning about it. Start testing it out. If you've got extra free time, go give it, go give it a whirl.
0: I mean, you just said something big there, Tom. That aspect of we need to go stretch. I mean, you know as well as I do that we have a culture, and I'm going to say a media led culture. Their focus is primarily on, in my in my opinion, on comfort. How can we get what we want, feed our appetites, and, and be comfortable? That's kind of that's the focus. And yet we know that the most, the happiest people, the, the most joyful, fulfilled people are those who are stretching. They're doing something uh, new. And that doesn't mean, you know, totally new from what you're doing, but they're adding on, they're building on, they're stretch. I like that. He's stretching. You don't have to go, go crazy, but stretch yourself that there's more, you know, there's more joy in that. So that's one aspect. But two, you also talked about uh, made me come back to this guy. Metal fabrication and machine shop. Okay. I have no context of that. I've hardly ever seen one of those. You know, they, they, I mean, I guess I can relate to it. You know, I do wood stuff that they do it over here with, with metal and whatever. What's well, real easy to come to the old, I think I talked, I think I read this on a show recently, the old story about the bricklayers. you know, there's three guys laying bricks. And one guy in essence, you know, is asked, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm laying bricks. Uh, and the other guys ask, what are you doing? I'm building walls uh, here uh, to provide for my family. And then the last guy says, man, I am, I'm creating a cathedral and it was this bigger picture. So we could take that to this guy and said, okay, buddy, you know, come on, get your, get some positive thinking going here, right? Uh, what are you making? What's that metal fabrication for that machine shop for? What are you helping somebody do? Cause at the end, those things are going to go towards whatever application and it's going to create an end product. Get excited about that. See the big picture. That may be a great answer for him. He'll listen to this show. He's, uh, I'll, I'll call him. I'll call him B. Uh, he knows his name. Uh, he'll be listening to the show. Maybe that's it. That'd be one to consider. Can you sit down and get a bigger picture of what you're doing and take more honor in that? Or do you look at it and go, I, I get you. Great analogy, but I just can't get excited about it. I'd say that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. What can you, can you take? And, and then, and then, and this is another place people get stuck at, I believe is not understanding how they can transfer talent, skills, and abilities that we have. If that's what he knows how to do well, you know, I, and I'm not saying he does this, but I know how to, well, that's what I do. How, what else am I supposed to do that? They, we can usually get help. I'd say, get a, get a career coach. Get a business coach, get somebody who can help you look at what are some other transferable areas you can take those. Does it the exact skill or similar skills to that? There is seldom not an answer to broadening that out. But I, I like what you said, Tom, on, on stretching ourselves. I think a lot of us are called to that. So this is the time to stretch ourselves for what are we doing? What is that? Can we look at, maybe we enjoy doing it. Maybe we like the money. But then ultimately it is an offering. And I like coming back to your dad's story of a performance of me looking. I, I thought about it I, as I was crafting this show. I thought about that. I mean, I enjoy what I'm doing. You and I are sitting here having a conversation about something that matters. Having a conversation about ideas, thoughts that matter. Uh, I'll never get tired of talking about it and writing about it. So here I'm doing it for my work. That is, that is great. It also provides revenue provides me a platform. It's part of why I got a book deal. You know, I I appreciate that. But now then here we are doing this, crafting this thing that we're going to publish, put out there on the Apple podcast or whatever. And for me to think about how much time do I speak to, I spend thinking this is an offering. I am taking this thing and saying here, folks, this is this, I made this for you. Do I, how much time do I spend with that hat on? And as altruistic as I would like to think I am, Tom, as I was crafting this, I thought, I I don't think I do enough. Do I prayerfully come to the topic and to the production? I'm going to end this. And then I'm going to think about how am I going to introduce this show as something that will be of interest to the right people who will benefit from hearing it. And the ones that don't need to will hear it and go, ah, not for me. And I won't waste their time. How do I look at this as an offering? it kind of brought me back to the thought of sales, Tom, that if we're doing sales right, I don't go into a sale thinking my goal here is to make a sale. Well, if I sell something to somebody that they can't afford and it's going to cause them to go bankrupt, I just did them a disservice. I was totally self-focused. I'm to go in there to understand this person, to help them discern what they really need. And then if it is actually my product to help them overcome the real and perceived obstacles, to make a decision and get this thing that will help them. And if it's not, to try to dissuade them I and mean, refuse. If you ever refused, Tom, I have rarely, uh, you know. but if you ever had to, because sometimes you'll do that with somebody and discern, and this is not the best decision for them. And then sometimes they'll switch roles with you and start trying to tell you why they do need it, which you would think from a sales standpoint is brilliant tactics, but not if you discern that this is a bad deal uh, for them. And then to refuse to do that. Have you ever had to say, I'm not going to sell it. I don't know that I've actually done said, I'm not going to, if I do a good, a good job of saying I don't think this is best for you. And then they say they want to, have I let them, I'm trying to think of an, an example. I don't know if I've actually refused, but it'd be an interesting, I'd love to hear from somebody who's done that. Who says, no, I absolutely will not sell this to you to somebody who you felt it was in their best interest. Not that, you know, so maybe sometimes there's somebody who's being a jerk and you think I'm not going to, but that's an interesting question. I don't have, I don't have an example on that one.
2: I've had that come up a couple of times, uh, where, but I never got to the point where I said, I don't care how much you pay. I'm not, I'm not selling it to you. I've never had that happen. So one of the, one of the greatest stories, uh, that I was a part of as a little boy and we've talked about this before I was 12. It was Christmas. I wanted a bike, right? Dad didn't understand bikes, He takes me to the bike mart in Dallas. We go in and the owner, operator, manager, whoever, he was alone in the store and he was working with an older lady and a very young child. So she was a grandmother. And he looks up at us and says, I'll work with you right after I'm done uh, handling this customer. And so She said, I want this bike. And she pointed to a bike and the owner said, well, that's a great bike. Your granddaughter's actually riding the smaller version of that bike around the store. Why don't you bring her over here and we'll sit her on this and we'll make sure it fits. So she gets on the bike and she's too small. Her feet barely touch the pedals. The the steering column is too far out in front of her frames too long. And the manager says, well, good news and bad news. The bad news is. Uh, she's not big enough to handle this bike. But the good news is, is the exact same model bike, just smaller frame, she was riding. Let's get that one for her. And the woman said, no, I want that bike there. And the manager said, well, it's not a good fit. It really wouldn't be right for her. She'd have a hard time enjoying it. She said, no, that's the bike I want. The neighbor kid has the same bike. That's the one I want. And then he said, well, you know, it really wouldn't be safe for her. And she said, no, that's the bike I want. And then he looked at her and said, ma'am, I would love to sell you this bike, but I couldn't sleep at night if I sold you this bike. Your daughter, your granddaughter could be driving down the driveway and a car's coming, and because the pedals are too far away, she can't get to the brake in time yeah. and an accident happens. That woman left in a huff. Mad. And dad witnessed that whole thing. And so he knew that whatever bike that this guy fitted me with was going to be the bike I needed. So that was somebody who said no. Yeah. Because they knew about alignment. They knew, and here's alignment, alignment. It has to be good for the store. It has to be good for me as the salesperson and it has to be good for the customer, And you know what? Selling something that's not safe, that's not good. That's not alignment. It's an easy sale. It might be good for the salesperson, but it's not going to be good for either one of those.
0: Well, I think this covered well. I do want to add one thing at the end and to come back to, it was actually your story, Tom, about your client with the refrigeration uh, type stuff, and and you said, this is actually saves lives. That when I ask this question again about your work being honorable to you and worthy, and you know altruism so often comes into this discussion, that I think we would all obviously when we look at the movies that are out there, especially those adventures and dramas where they depict somebody in the absolute safety of the world is on the line right? We love watching those movies, that person, and they're above any law, any authority, because the world's safety is on there. Not many of us are in such a position. We have a time right now when we really uphold first responders, people who are at the scene, sacrificing their own well-being to help somebody else. And we like that feeling. I think to some degree, we always want to be, we would like to have something that's of that gravity, right? I mean, talk about purpose. That feels like that purpose. Now, ultimately, I I, I have a daughter and her boyfriend is a first responder. He's a fireman. And he comes home and tells he just had an article about him. He saved a guy who fell down in a sinkhole and he went down and they both got hypothermia and brought him out and it was in the paper. And, you know, great story. Well, you know, Tom, I'd like to think that what I do is important. I actually do. If I don't ever make it to the microphone again, I don't think anybody will be mortally harmed. They might miss me a little bit. I got a, I got a testimony. Thank you. Uh, I don't have the name in front of me. Somebody gave a, test, sent a testimony today. And it was incredibly uplifting to me where they cited the difference that my voice and my efforts had made in their lives. That is great. It's awesome. I mean, it's, it's huge. I don't know if lives are on the line inspiration and, and who knows the ripple effect. I'm not downplaying at all, but just to put that out there for folks who look at it to, to watch out back to the ministry thing of thinking that if you're going to help the world in your job, it has to be vitally life saving or monumentally altruistic. Uh, it, it does. And I hope we've done a good job of kind of covering some of the areas here, of something that you do enjoy you do have skill in it does provide for you and that you have some honor in what you are providing but there are a lot of things that our vocations do for for us and do for the world and don't discount it i think would be my point here discount it because it may not be the ultimate super galactic saving of the planet and of literal you know lives where a heartbeat's going to stop did i do that justice tom You did a good brother. Okay. All right. Well, thanks to the folks. And there were some more comments here that I didn't go over, but just an interesting thing as we all continue to seek bettering our work and finding fulfillment and fulfilling others to ask this question about how do we view the performance, that thing of what we are ultimately offering at the end of the product or service that we're all engaged in. From this show, you are either feeling confirmed that you do find the end product or service you help provide honorable and and worthy, you appreciate the offering that you're providing to people. If you don't, you can be considering if a change in your perspective is in order, and we talked about that in the show, or you may want to look at aligning yourself with a different product or service that will allow you to have this other measurement and ingredient in your work life coming up next in Ziegler show episode 907 I'm actually considering a special episode so I'm going to hold off and I'll let it be a surprise to you but I as always am just grateful for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together